back to the Stab Cusp. I am Michael Saramella, joined by my co-host, Stace Galbraith. Stace, how you going over there? Mikey, I'm doing good on the other side of the planet, down under. What, what about yourself? Yeah, uh, still in Costa Rica. Looks like I might be making a move soon um, back to the States, actually. But that's kind of pending a few things, as most things in the world are right now. Uh, but yeah, man, it's been fun. We've had good waves and just trying to enjoy my last couple months down here. Um, how about yeah, you? You guys got some surf? Oh, I bet. Uh, are you the only person in the world who's trying to go back to America in this climate? Uh, you'd have to think so. Yeah. It's not exactly by my own volition, but it is uh, something that appears to be happening. So I'm trying to stay positive about it. Best wishes with that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we've been going all right down here. Australia's um, trucking along. It's a good time of year to be um, a surfer uh, around the country. There's plenty of waves everywhere, all the way from sort of West Oz um, over to, yeah, the East Coast. It's It's been really, yeah, really good, really fortunate. Um, so, yeah, not taking it for granted, that's for sure. Yeah, well, we haven't chatted in a while. Um, of course, that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, professional surfing is kind of, what this show is about and there hasn't been too much of that going on however there was a fairly big development in the past uh, few weeks that uh, actually falls into your sort of category of expertise so do you want to uh, reveal what is not anywhere near news anymore but it's still a big deal uh, yeah we can bring it back into the headlines um yeah jake the snake patterson announcing his retirement from the coaching arena um, for the foreseeable future, um, which was definitely a surprise. I think that, um, you know, you're expecting some carnage with, with everything that's going on, but given his, his roster of athletes and, um, you know, obviously his success, it was still a big surprise. Um, and to get to chat to him in this, um, this episode was really cool. Got to dig a bit deeper into, to what, uh, what he's going to be, keep him busy with from here on out and then yeah got to dive into his career as a, as a surfer and a coach which um i found personally really interesting um and i hope everyone else does too yeah well uh fortunately i wasn't able to be a part of this conversation because jake as we know is now the ceo of a big sunscreen brand um and he is a full-time desk jockey and said that he couldn't get on the phone until 5 p.m west aussie time which is something like three in the morning where I live. So uh, I don't know if he was just avoiding me or, you know, what was going on there, but yeah, uh, you got to have a really good chat with him and um, you know, let's, should we just get into that now? Yeah, let's rip in. I hope everyone enjoys it as, as, as much as I did. And um, yeah. Well, welcoming to the show, the 98 pipe master, the unofficial Coach of the Year 2018, and the biggest choker of the Turtle Bay Golf Geek Tournament, <laughs> Jake the Snake Patterson. Thanks, Dave. Wow, what an intro. Uh, couple of, you know, classic, like, couple of pump-ups with a little rip down at the end. Yeah, nice. Thanks. <laughs> well, mate, it was a big public departure from, um, from the, uh, the surf world the other day. But mate, I want to know, we're going to see you at the Corona Pro 2021. <laughs> oh, I don't know, mate. I, maybe, but 
Jeez, I mean, I only get paid when there's events are on. So if there's no events on, what do you do? You got to find a living, and I've I found a really good living at the moment. So. Mate, it's 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 good to hear. We'll get it out of the way. Give it a plug. What do you what have you been up to, mate? What's keeping you busy? Yeah, we are feel good ink sunscreen, mate. It's uh, it's I'm a part owner with a couple of other families, and yeah, I'm actually running the whole show at the moment. So. Yeah, you you might be sponsoring these events soon. Keep us all afloat. Yeah. Someone might have to ask. But I heard this today in a interview with the great Kevin Sheedy. So I'm going to poach that question straight off the bat. <laughs> Do you think you're a better surfer or a coach? Uh, coach for sure. I was, uh, yeah, I know. I, I read your little quote on your Instagram, mate, saying self-confessed overachiever. Um, you know, I always, I was always that kid, like, battled hard to make heats. And, you know, I was never that, like, for, for WA as such, Targ Burrow, like, that came through, was always going to be a superstar, if you get what I mean. I was the guy in the shadow running sand dunes and trying to be the fittest and smartest guy on tour to, to survive kind of thing. And, and then when the when the conditions suited me, it kind of gave me more confidence to, um, yeah, to go on and, and, and you know, I, I won events that, you know, jeez, I, I surprised myself kind of thing. And, uh, you know, just having such a long career, I even surprised myself. You know, I was just that that stoked to be a pro surfer that I loved every little minute of it. You know, Jatson, you know how he's at the beach all day, every day, watching the chicks even and everything? Yeah. You know, yeah. when he's on tour? Yeah. That, that, that's me. I, I was on tour loving it. That's why they nicknamed me the godfather, I think, because I was there helping people out, fixing their boards, you know, telling all my mates, you know, kind of like coaching on the side, even from a young age, kind of like just because I loved it. Unfortunately, we don't see that these days. I mean, I probably wouldn't have a job if we did. Um, but, you know, you look at your crew like TB, Hitcho, Richie Lovett, Tommy Witts. Like, Richie filmed you beating him for the top spot of the QS. There's no <laughs> way. That video. It's amazing. There's no fucking way that you would see... I've got a couple of names here written down, but it, you wouldn't see anyone do that these days. I don't think. Like, how was no, that to be around? I swear we started that era of like us guys traveling together because we came in like uh, when BL and Damien Hardman and Potts and all those guys were just retiring kind of thing. And the Tom Carroll, all those guys are fucking gnarly. Thought their shit didn't stink. Like we're just gods above everything. Travel by himself, hardly friends. Didn't talk to us guys. Yeah. They kind of like had a little bit of friendship amongst themselves, but they were so competitive and gnarly. But then we came on tour like, and, you know, traveled all together and had fun. And, and then, you, you know, that's when like Kelly and like all those Rob, you know, all those guys had the momentum um, kind of push kind of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we had the, the LMB lick my balls thing come through <laughs> that, you know, we're all trying to gang together to try and, you know, piss those American guys off to like be, this other kind of gang of Australian guys pushing kind of thing. So I don't know, we all traveled together on the CT and had a hell of time and, and pushed each other. And like, you know, you know, we used to have like, I remember having the three gnarliest sets of tennis I've ever played in my life, but for priority against the heat against Luke Hitching. We used to do shit like that. Like, yeah. and in Fiji, we used to play poker for priority. If we had each other in a heat for the start of the heat, instead of, you know, the battles that go on these days can, ruin a whole heat. We just go, oh no, 
with your mates, we used to just do something then and there if we had time. Like as me and Hitchings like had drew each other in at J Bay, and we had yeah. like four days because of the the lay days, and then yeah. we end up playing three sets of the craziest tennis, and he actually won. So yeah. Heavy, but yeah, yeah, I yeah. I the heat. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was gonna say it didn't work for him in the long run, I don't think, because your, your record there is pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, getting getting back to like what you said earlier about you know it's pretty well publicised, uh, you know, self publicised that you know you're an overachiever. Um, one of your one of your peers had you surf pretty smart with two feet on the tail pad, and it served you pretty well. Uh, but you know, with all the sledging and even like you know yourself, you don't talk it up. You won some pretty good events, mate. Like you don't just win J Bay twice, the QS twice, Pipe and Sunset for no reason. I mean, what do you think your strengths were outside being physically prepared? Physically prepared and just um, always keeping the top guys honest. You get what I mean? Like you have a look at it every given day that um, uh, you know the the guy has less talent, but he's like he's more patient and and he'll sit and he'll he'll rise. He, he'll rise above his own ability level. I did that a lot, like especially against Andy. Like my my winning percentage against Andy was be- the best out of everyone on tour, if you can yep. believe that. It yep. was crazy. But I just had this thing with Andy that he made me lift my surfing to a whole nother level. And actually, I was always relaxed because he all the pressure was on him. Like yep. he was expected to smoke me. So I just like put, you know, re- the best, performance you ever put in is when you're totally relaxed and it's not really a heat but you're switched on so focused on the what you have to do to win but there's no pressure it's it's what I try and get all my athletes when I'm coaching to that zone where everything happens just so easily that you don't even thinking about it and you're paddling around and go oh here's another bomb how nice is this yeah, and then yeah. like you know, you finish and you oh, they read out eight points. You go, wow, well, he's got a little bit of pressure now, but there's still you're still expecting to lose because you got Andy Irons, and then you paddle back out, and then he's made a mistake. And you go, oh, we can't do that. I have got you now, yeah. kind of thing. So um, it's uh, it's one of those things. Like I, I rose to a lot of occasions, and I took a lot of chances that paid off. Um, you know that that probably other guys wouldn't do because I was just that guy. Well, you know, I was waiting for a wave that I always can vision a big score on kind of thing. So I, I, I lost a lot of heat waiting, <laughs> if you get what I mean. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I, I feel like that was my, that's my game plan. And I was pretty stubborn at it. Like, but you know, yeah. I, I tell all my athletes, if I had your talents, like well, I would have won a couple of world titles, you know what I mean? But, um, but, the talent of the kids these days is phenomenal. And, and I, I think it, uh, it shows a little bit of what I've, I've shown to like Kanara and Griffin, especially that, you know, with their talent and then just conforming a tiny bit to get to the basics and, and um, what, you're, what you can achieve. Like, bang, they both won the QS year after year. You know, it was, you know, I won the QS a couple of years in a row. And I'll tell you what, winning that tour is gnarly. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah. The QS has its own battles within itself. You know, even just getting inside the top 100 is a battle. Let alone, win, let alone <laughs> yeah, winning, winning the thing. Yeah, it's fucking hard. Um, yeah, mate, I can believe you beat Andy a couple of times. I'm a part of the generation that kind of grew up watching films like Blue Horizon and stuff. And there's the the famous wave in there where all the face carves in the world can't beat a Gold Coast barrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How good's that? 
so I'm not good. smoking him anyway without that way. They, they just ham that up for the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's um, it's funny to hear you say uh, conforming a little bit because I think it's something that I asked you a couple of years ago. We were just probably sitting next to each other filming and I kind of asked, how do you go about coaching Griffin? Do you change it up at all? And at the time, you gave me a pretty flat bat no. But I wanted to know, you know, over the years, had you moulded anything from your career to add to his or did you keep it exactly how you would have done it? Because obviously his firepower far exceeds uh, most people. Yeah. Uh, you, you, these days you kind of you get painted into a corner in a, in a heat kind of thing sometimes if you stick to my game plan. And he's got the ability to take off on a closeout and get himself out of trouble a lot and he's done it a lot and um, that's just from blowing the game plan really because my game plan is to do it the easiest way possible to win a heat you get what I mean but the firepower the, the kids have these days is to take off on a closeout do a huge big whirly bird and, and stick it for like the biggest score of the heat so um, but for me that's the hardest way to do it I mean why would you do that wanting to sit there wait for an easy score on a, on a good wave and, and do it the easy way and then because surfing you know, you can't rely on it. I try and create a, a thing in these guys' heads that uh, luck's a cop-out, if you get what I mean. Don't 100%. rely on luck, you know. The, the guy's never lucky. I mean, why weren't you there for that wave or he landed something big to beat you? That, that's not luck. That's, you get what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a small, there's a small percentage of times where the, you, the, the ocean fucks you. Basically, you, you need a small three-point ride for 10 minutes and the ocean doesn't break and you sit there and you go, well, you know, that's, that's just mother nature and you get fucked. And, but that's just life. That's, that's professional surfing that happens. You know, mm. Mandaka's done that to many people. Like, you mm. know, just doesn't break for, you know, 20, 30 minutes at a time. It's just one yeah. of those things. But US Open um, and shit like that. You're just sitting there going, come on. Just anything. Like, mm. you know, that you need a 1.5 and you're mm. out the back at, at Huntington for, for eight minutes or something and, and you cannot stand up. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So, I believe in a little bit of unlucky. I don't like to say it, but unluckiness. But I believe you create your own luck. The harder you work, you know, the more training you do, the more hit drills you do, you know, it all, you know, the door's just always opening up for you. And those point ones that you're losing are the point ones that you're winning and, all that stuff. That's what I try and incorporate in all my guys. Is, you know, hard work pays off and, you know, I'm a true advocate of it, if you get what I mean. If I survived on tour for 10 years, you guys should have a 30-year career like Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Put on a few so times. That's the kind of mindset. It's kind of like, if the conditions are right, I'll let Griffin off his leash a little bit, if you get what I mean, and, and he's going to yeah. get 10 or 12 chances. Yeah, it's a pun on your first wave. I don't give a shit, but, you know. But yeah. if it's not, it's very rarely like that. So Yeah, I think that sort of might speak to their results, both him and, and Kanoa, like winning the winning the QS. It, that formula definitely works on the QS. But when you roll up to the CT and you're straight into waves like Bells and J-Bay and stuff like that, you, you do need to be on the better waves. Although the judges will say they don't score the better waves, it's a load of shit. They definitely do. And it it always helps if if you are on those bigger, better waves and doing yeah. doing the same surfing as what you would have done on a smaller one. I try to try teach them all to be like Mick kind of thing, MF dude. He is the ultimate for me, ultimate competitor. 
never really hassled to the inside. Like, not that I ever tell my guys to do that, but he was just going, yep, I'm going to out-surf you. Here we go, boys. Let's go. Boom. Um, and he goes about his game plan every single time, pretty much the same, like, and the constant professional. And it's not just in the heat kind of thing. I just think Mick's, like, unbelievable. The time he gives and the, the human that he is and everything with his sponsors and, you know, I couldn't couldn't mould a better pro surfer if you ask me. Oh, fucking amen to that. Yeah. Like even yeah, so he's, he's incredible we, uh, to be around. He's always trying to get better too. And I think a lot of, lot of people probably the ego gets in the way of that. Whereas like Mick just doesn't seem to have that. He's always working on something and, and giving people the time of day. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty fucking amazing. But uh, yeah. I'll just quick little sound bite there that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Talk about the inside. Um, it's not something you really went after except for Zeke and John, John at Bell's. <laughs> did he come to wild. you did like, he come to you with that or did you kind of think of that the night before because obviously I, I said I said put a bit of pressure on him I didn't just tell him to do what he did he just took the, he thought about like how could he put pressure on him kind of thing and he went probably a little too far maybe to like pushing the friendship kind of thing but because uh, they're actually good friends but geez it was it was not but you know the whole world saw John John tried so hard and fell off on a couple of ways he'd never would have fallen off on normally and yeah. he just cracked kind of thing. It was like, you know, Zeke really needed that, 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 that result kind of thing. And he went on to the quarters or semis or something. And, and you know, there, yeah. there goes John John's weakness maybe, but um, you know, I try and put game plans together for different people and stuff. And, and uh, you know, John in that heat, tried to take the inside off, off Zeke, which was for, for me was a stupid move for, for him. Mm. Because why wouldn't he just do, you know, he must have been rattled a tiny bit because Zeke actually success really, really well at Bells. Why wouldn't he, um, you know, just play the game, play ride the second wave that's normally smoother? And yeah. if he had have just done that, I reckon he would have got a better start. He would have done everything. And then, you know, it all worked out perfect for Zeke. That he'd like, mm. If he had have just gone about his daily routine of going out there and surfing his waves, he, he got suckered into the, the game plan of putting pressure on him and like, don't let him just get an easy start kind of thing yeah. and bango. Yeah. It worked out great. Yeah, like, I mean, fuck guys have it easy these days. I swear to God. Johnny Boy used to paddle out back in my days and tell people not to take off, otherwise you'll get a slap. <laughs> what happened to Shane Herring at Sunset? He said, kid, don't take off. He went out there, took off, got a slap in the channel. Oh, my God. I've seen Sonny punch out Neko Pateraxa's fins at Pi. <laughs> like, in a heat. It's like... Kids these days don't even yeah. know. You get what I mean? I used to love the Kelly Andy rivalry thing when they weren't getting on, and as soon as they started being friends, it was sucked. Mm. What about? Did you, you ever get mean? eyes on the Mick Campbell Andy altercations? Yeah, I had one of those with Andy as well in Brazil. Like, yeah, I was there in France when that happened, and that was the Andy qualified on tour, came on tour, thought he was going to smoke everyone, and he got smoked. He actually dropped off tour his first year. Yeah. Started mouthing off to everyone who beat him. Like, and, and we just go, who the fuck are you, mate? Yeah. Like, fuck off. And he's going, oh, yeah. you have fucking won the head. I was going, who cares, mate? Fucking look, I'm going through. You're fucking out, brother. <laughs> See ya. And then he's just, he was just clicky, you know, and just, we mm. had, he had a fight. Me, Mick Cambo, like a bunch of other guys kind of thing. He dropped off tour and then re-qualified and then came back. A completely different human, though. Yeah. 
Like he was so wild that he came back like a full mature, like um, grounded, like I'm going to beat you and I'll do it my way. And if I lose, I'll just suck it up and, and move on and, and learn from it. And like, it was really wild. And yeah. obviously why he won his world, world titles, he kind of learned that he couldn't be that kid. If you get what I mean? Totally, yeah. You, you see it now, like, I think, you know, there was even some athletes in your stable, you know, early snake tails days that had that attitude as well. Not to that level, but they definitely, um, you know, it, it humbles you pretty quick if you, even even if you win a couple, you always end up losing more than you win. So. The, the, the stats mm. prove it, don't, don't they? Yeah, it doesn't matter who you, it doesn't matter who you are. guys winning... Winning, winning ratio is like crazy. It's like not even that great. Even the world title guy only wins three events a year. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. it's only two. Yeah. You know, so if they're getting second or third, they're fucking pissed. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes yeah. I think Parko won his world title one pipe, but yeah. he was winning the world title whether he won pipe or not. So yeah, you know what I mean. Totally. So yeah. You can win the world title without winning an Thanks event. To it. So. Speaking of which, do you know that you were only a couple heats away in two thousand and one? Uh, 2001, yeah, to, to the world title. Yeah. That was a crazy, that was a, uh, uh, a short year. Yeah, the September 11 um, year, the, that was a crazy year. But yeah, that, I knew exactly what was going on. It was at sunset too. And I wish I'd surf sunset like I do now to back then because it was crazy. Like, yeah. you know, it, it was man on man, by the way. Man on man with Jeski Assist. Wow, Jeski Assist. And, yeah, end of the end of the tour for the last event. Mm. Um, I think there was seven guys buying for the world title because there was I'd won J Bay that year and I'd had a I had a pretty good result somewhere else, so it put me wide right up there and I'm finishing finishing fifth. But yeah. if I had got through one more heat, I would have finished second. And I had won one more heat, it would have yeah <laughs> knocked it off. So. Imagine if you had a title and Taj didn't. <laughs> God, he would have won one if I had won one, though. Why, why do you say That's that? how competitive he is. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe you might have just retired and started coaching a bit earlier. Oh, yeah, maybe. No, yeah. I loved it too much. Mate, can you remember your record, your head-to-head record against um, the other bald wizard? Oh, no. Nah. He's... Uh, I know I got smoked lots. <laughs> I think I... I I've been I've been him a couple of times. I've been him a couple of times in uh, Hullyeva. I made a couple of finals in Hullyeva. I beat him. A, I think both years I made the final. Uh, beat him at pipe. I think I just I can't even remember any other time. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Wasn't as good as Andy. He was one one to seven. But uh, you did get him in the semis at pipe. So we reckon that counts for a couple. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think those four man heats ever count in those stats. So nah. Yeah, so uh, surfing, you like yeah. they're hit and miss of it all. You gotta, you know, pick it up, and then you gotta remember the wins as well as the losses. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it there a little bit. Like, was there a specific low light where those kind of moments were were heightened? Oh, geez, one year at Margaret's, which I would think, you know, try to help my guys a little bit extra. I had three guys lose three heats in a row in the la- in the losers round. The year Margaret's was called off that yeah. year. Yeah. Then went bang, 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 three heats in a row in the in the last place. That was a really tough day coaching. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, especially at my home place. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, where yeah. I, I'd expect those guys to do. You know, my, my knowledge should help them a bit more. Yeah. But 
had a shocker. So yeah. that sticks out of my head, like one of my worst coaching moments. It's kind of, it's baffling. Two hits in a row is like tough because I take it personally. Like, you know what I mean? It's not them just losing. It's, it's I, I, I'm losing too. And I put my heart and soul into everything, everything I coach in, into like, you know, I'm getting up at 5.30 as well, you know, grinding, videoing, and then the late sessions. And then, you know, you got all these guys surfing different times or whatever, whatever. But I love it. But, you know, when that comes to the, game day boom the heat's on it's i'm out there <laughs> yeah, I mean? i'm yeah, feeling yeah, those emotions yeah. i'm feeling that the wins and the losses but as you said you're, you're losing way more than you're winning so fine i tell these guys i go you guys got the best job in the world you're doing you're following your dream you got the you know we we should visit like children's hospitals a little bit more because it'll fucking open your eyes right up to to go you guys you're whinging about fucking losing a heat to to someone and then you know, you look at these kids in a hospital just going, holy shit, you, what are they worried about? They're worrying about surviving life, let alone worrying about tomorrow, you know, yeah. today. And then you guys are you know, throwing the, the toys out of the cot because you lost some stupid surf event. It's <laughs> like, come on, put in yeah. a little bit harder work, you know? It's yeah. like not the end of the world. Totally. It, uh, yeah, you mentioned it earlier, like having that feeling of that perfect balance of like caring a lot, but not giving a fuck in yeah, a way that's that's it that's when you perform your best and and leaving it at the door if you get what i mean like if you put your best performance in and you feel like you haven't made a mistake and some guy out surfed you you give him a little goggles clap and go fucking hell that hurt but fuck he out he got you mm, yeah like not not come in and smash your board and fucking fuck you know carry on like a monkey <laughs> like you learn from that and you work harder yeah move fuck, on totally so so how much of your coaching do you think was outside of the beach environment like working with you pretty much had some of the biggest teams i notice um amongst you know the coaching fraternity like how, how much of it was that sort of um you know psychological help do you think uh i think it's more than the beach stuff like mm. i i tell all my guys um you get the most out of my coaching if you if we're traveling around together and it's 24 7 yeah, it's it's a it's a car trip to from the beach to the to the Connors Bank or whatever, and I might say something about something that'll click to them that'll make the difference. It'll it might be a life lesson, something about something about whatever. If you go know what I mean, I've been for sure doing this shit for thirty years or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like it's not it's not like go sit there and catch these two rights and then go to there to catch the left kind of thing. It's like getting in that mindset about being relaxed and or don't take that for granted or make sure you've got the right stickers on your board so you're not overthinking that, you know, the yeah. reef might see with no stickers on my board and my heat. Kind of, that's stupid shit. Like, I try and give these kids life lessons on how to be that ultimate professional surfer. Yeah. Be good to your sponsors. Be good to them. And you've got nothing to worry about besides, you know, beating one other guy in 30 minutes. It's like, you break it all down. It's not that hard. Yeah, yeah, mean. yeah, but for if sure. You're, if you're there for two weeks thinking about that 30 minutes beating some other guy, you'll yeah. bloody explode. Yeah, no, nah, for mind. sure. Yeah, do you think we're ever guilty of overcomplicating things? Oh, I am for sure. I know for a fact I do it with Steph a lot because yeah. I try and, um, you know, she, she's the goat, obviously, in the women's side of things. And, and um, I know that I... I, I it's so hard because I know the guy, you know, for instance, like I know 
Canola is like the best chip shot um, reader in the world, you know? Yeah. Like a chip shot, like when it's onshore and you can sit on, you can read it where the ocean's going to peak up and you get it right from the very tip. That's a chip shot, yeah. you know? And if I tell Steph to go, just sit out the back past it and pick a chip shot, that, like, you know what I mean? I, that's way yeah, over yeah, yeah. She doesn't yeah. have to do that. You know what no. I mean? She needs to oh, sit yeah. halfway out, catch two waves and smoke whoever she's serving against. Yeah. So I kind of dig, I kind of overcomplicate for, for Steph for sure. But hard one, must be a hard one to manage when you've got that much firepower. And ultimately it's the surfer within that just wants to surf. But then I guess you've got to, um, I know everything's got a, you know, risk and reward. And I think the modern day of that is, is obviously Gabriel. Like he, he just does what he needs to do to win that heat. I think that's something Mick did really well. Like he's gnarly. He's Gabby's gnarly. He, he takes, he, one year in France, he had Leo as a wild card, I think. And he must've been rattled against Leo or something, but he changes his whole game plan against Leo. It was like, he rode two waves in this heat. Like I was going, Leo, this, this is how you're going to get him. You're going to ride two of the best waves in the heat and, you know, have the inside, blah, blah, blah. Gabby fought with him for the inside, got the best first wave, then waited for Leo to make the mistake. Like, our whole game plan got turned around onto him. I was yeah. like, oh, what the fuck? That's oh. not his game plan. His yeah. game plan is to ride a lot of waves to do something spectacular. Yeah. But he just adapted. He adapts unbelievable. Yeah. And creates opportunity when he's in trouble. Like, he's unbelievable. Yeah. doesn't give a fuck what anyone... This, I love Gabby because of his raw, doesn't give a fuck who... He's there to win. Yeah. He's not there to be nice. No, no Everyone loves all. him because he's so good, but you know what I mean? He, he's there to win and, like, he doesn't give a fuck who he paddles up up the point fucking needing a three-point wave. But nah. He did it to Griff at J-Bay. Him and Griff were really good friends. And then he just fucking absolutely fucking smoked him at J-Bay, paddling him up the point and back and... Oh, it was, yeah, I was going, wow. This, yeah. As much as this is hurting, this is impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It, it is impressive. Like, you, you can't, you, you, like you said, golf clap and just good on you, mate. Like, it's some, it's, it's, it's yeah, well, you learn from it level. moving on. Like, yeah. You know, and, and was, is that something that you would, you would change going into, say, you know, J Bay more recently versus obviously France with Leo was a few years ago? Um, I would argue that Gabby probably knew your game plan and fucking used it against you knowing full well what you guys were going to do. Is that something you, you mix up going into an event down the track or you, you kind of just stick to your guns and try and no, be no, smarter no, next I, time? I, no, yeah, try to be smarter next time for sure. I, I learned just as much as the surfers. Yeah. And I remember, I've got a, a killer whale bloody memory, dude. I, don't, I remember like all kinds of crazy heats, like little moments, not so much every heat, but like those important little... You know, little things like that heat last year in J-Bay, Ryan Callahan thing, those last 10 minutes oh, still baffles me. Me too. And it's like, you get what I mean? That, yeah. That's going to stick with me for life, if you get what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's just shit like that just kind of, I don't know. But that, that turned his whole year around. He went yeah, that was, the, that, that, that was the way. fucking... Yeah. You know what I mean? He should have been ninth, ninth place. Yeah. Out of the yeah. event, out of the world title race, out yeah. of everything. Dude. Yeah. It's like gone. Yeah. And then that just went bang. Onto that, won the wave, pull, bang, bang, like just went, yeah. holy shit, he's going to win. Yeah. Well, he's just, he the, he's just, but. he's like the master of fucking, yeah, well, he put himself in a position to when he should have not even been anywhere near it. Like, yeah, he's just the master of like reading the play as it comes. He doesn't really seem like he's ever thinking it forward or behind. He's just right in the fucking zone. Like, what about that wave he got in the final at J Bay? 
I've never, I'm not that experienced with that place. I've, you know, you could fill me in on that, but I'd never seen a wave break like that on the point at J-Bay. Like the three different peaks that came up in the wave, then into the closeout. And he yeah, surfed that, that wave. Just because it was such a raw, big onshore swell. Like that's what it does. It does that terrible thing. It's not one, one line. Yeah. It was like that all day. And it's so hard to surf on your forehand. Yeah. The backhand is was one of the only times ever on your backhand at J-Bay, you're going to have an advantage. Okay, got yeah. You, you can't go like a big hook in the thing you know, on your forehand. Yeah. You come back around and it's breaking. Yeah. On your backhand, you go up into the thing and you go bang, big vert turn. And you go, fuck, that was huge. You can't do that on your forehand. No. And then you, you, you back around it. Yeah. It was quick and lumpy and weird. It was like, oh. Atello and, and Gabby made it look so good. Kanoa got beaten by, by um, Atello that day. And I was going, you're going to fucking smoke him. And I woke up that morning, looked at the swirl. I went, oh, no. Yeah. heavy. Yeah, got you can't, it. You can't link your turns on your forehand. Like, on your backhand, yeah. it doesn't matter. You just go, boom. And, and it links all together naturally. But on your forehand... Yeah. You've got to be able to swoop around and drive. And if you can't do that, I go back to a few moments I was thinking about, like, that I remember. It's like Gabby's his own worst enemy. You remember he got that interference against Micro at, at Snapper? Oh, yep, yep. And then you go back to, he cost him the world title at Portugal against Kayo. Yeah. You know I mean, he's his own worst enemy. And he lost yep. the heat at uh, Winky Pop against uh, Fred. Frederico, Fred, yeah. Yeah, Frederico. You know? yeah. And that's just from him his own worst enemy getting too involved in like pressuring people into doing stupid shit like yeah. him doing stupid shit yeah so, but that's the competitive nature in himself i guess that yeah exactly you know, double good with the bad yeah you take two world titles and whatnot and fucking probably a few more well, you look at philippe against canola those two interferences that he had like in the same oh, year yeah. you, brazil and uh huntington like yeah that's just Philippe being competitive and not wanting Kanoa to have an inch. Um, mate, I want to go back to um, sort of where it all started. Did you start with Julian? Is that kind of how it all started? Uh, officially? Uh, no, officially it was Leo, I guess. Okay. Um, well, working for Quicksilver as a, as a team manager kind of thing and um, – you know, I had a bar, a villa in Bali, and Belly came and stayed with Leo, and I met Leo first. And he was must have been. It was him and Ramsey, and we went and run a couple of heats at Chungu Beach Break, you know, yeah. and then it was me trying to, you know, just Belly just goes, oh, you know, we'll just do a couple of heat, you know, mm. thing, and then, you know, I end up going with Leo. You know, Belly got me to go to one of the World Junior things in Panama you know, as a coach for Leo, you know, yeah. so I was the Italian coach because Leo was the only kid there from oh, Italy amazing. kind of thing. So, so that's how it all kind of started. And then yeah. I was quick, you know, quick silver team manager. And then I was going around and, you know, helping Leo and, and then Julian, um, he had no one to travel with through Europe. Um, so I jumped into his bandwagon um, and helped him out as the Quicksilver guy kind of thing. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, we went to Hawaii. I was helping him out. He made both finals and, you know, should have won the triple can. Wasn't allowed in pipe, qualified. Um, you know, so it was kind of like more Leo and kind of belly seeing the, you know, the potential kind of thing. And then, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. how it kind of all started. I was pretty blessed to have that Quicksilver job that went in because I had access to these athletes that mm. was crazy. And then belly had like a, uh, a faith in me to help Leo obviously 
you know, had that ancestral, like, you know, I want someone to help him out and, you know, you, you know, it's a company thing so we can get away with me traveling to help him out, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, um, and then, you know, Canola just kind of like was traveling around doing the junior events in Australia and we had this connection and, you know, it's so easy to coach talented guys, but the trust and the connection thing has to be there. And Kanoa and Leo always believed it because they were just, if you get them so young, mm. you know what I mean? They, they, they go, you've been there, done it. You know, I trust you, you know, you've won events. You know, I want to be where you got to kind of thing. And I was going, fuck, yeah. if I get your talent, I would have gone further. But yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so Leo, I tell, I tell, you know, Griff, when I started with Griff, I tell him to go left at J-Bay three times before he went right. He'd go left three times at J-Bay before he went right. He yeah. would just go, fuck snake, you've got the game plan. I fucking love it. Let's do this. Whatever you say, let's do it. Yeah. Bang. But I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like it's, it's a connection. It's not, it's not as simple as uh, how you make it sound snake. I think it's a lot, lot more, particularly when you're dealing, uh, you know, you're dealing with so many different, not only people, but you know, cultures within those people, you know, like a Japanese oh, surfer, Ramsey, a, a Moroccan. Yeah. Marks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I coach everyone individually. Like, I can't, the same game plan doesn't work for everyone. Like, Ramsey on his backhand mm. is world class. For me, the top five backhand surfers in the world. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I tell him to find a fucking right hander wherever, wherever there is because you do two backhand rounds, you're getting eight points. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's the one in his head that's going, in, I always have to, he thinks he needs a 10 instead of a fucking just two backhand rounds, you know? Yeah. He tries too hard and, and doesn't like cheating. Like he, he doesn't like fucking doing a little windstream Brazilian windstream wiper kind of thing. You know, he he's all about fucking nice. It's got to be a nice bottom hand turn, snake. I've got to draw out the bottom, you know. And then you can't do that on a two foot fucking wave ramp. You just fucking cheat. Just go bang. They look huge, man. Just do it. You yeah. know. But he would never comport. Like you mean, fuck, it kills me. It kills me. Yeah. When, like he can do it so easy, but he makes it hard. You know. That's. That's my battle, but it's, you know, I love him because he's such a purist and he, he, he does, he goes, that's the way I want to surf and he'll live and die by it. And that's fine, but it's hard for me to swallow. Yeah. I think I've got a lot of like questions about your certain style and I think we've heard a lot of it now and I'm, I'm, I hope everyone's as psyched to listen as me, but I've, I got a couple of uh, instances that I'd like to relive with you. It was the first time I ever caddied um, at sunset and I, I paddled out and I, I remember asking Joel just before we paddled out, like, Hey, like, you know, what have you got for me? Just give me a couple of tips. Jack was ninth on the QS and I fucking had no idea what I was doing. Still don't. And Joel was just like, Hey, just, <laughs> just, just be honest. Like, you know, it's, the heat's 30 minutes goes pretty quick. So don't fart around, just give him the info that he needs and, you know, tell him he's fucking ripping and you boys will be fine. And then we get out there and <laughs> I remember you were caddying for Noema and Maxime. So you had boards flying off you everywhere and uh, Noema got a wave. It was firing. It was really good. And I remember just being blown away. It was the first wave that I saw in person, you know, and it's like sunset, such a spectacle, especially sitting in the channel. It's the best job in the world when you get to paddle out with the boys. And I remember thinking, fuck, yeah, that was a pretty good wave. You know, I'll listen in on the chat as you guys are coming past. <laughs> You're just straight in, up in his grill. No, great start, mate. You definitely got the best start. And he did the only one he'd ridden a wave. <laughs> and, <you're, laughs> and then you're like, you'll get a bigger score next time if you just bog less. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs>
I've never been known as a backpatter, mate. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty harsh. Like, uh, you know, guys come in from a heat and they think they've done pretty good and I'm just shaking my head just going, what the fuck was that? You know yeah, I mean? and another one, another thing that um, sort of I remember kind of cocking my head at when I was watching it go down, but then I, I definitely adapted after this, definitely pinched one out of your book on this occasion, uh, was the famous orange rag. Now, we've seen it at Bells a lot. I remember uh, me and Micro were giving you a bit of shit about it. But um, can you talk us through the waving of the orange flag on the steps to the boys? What are you, what are you up to there? Dude, it's fully legal. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, oh. I'm going to tell you, when I was on tour, I had a heat against Shane Powell at Bells Bowl. I got Tony Ray to wave sets for me at Bells Bowl, like just over the ledge of the stairs just if there's a set coming because it's in bells is always inconsistent like blah 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 i had three minutes to go i had priority there's no i can't see anything coming i'm going to i needed a fucking five point ride um i'm on the i'm going fuck i'm heading to rincon right i'm halfway to rincon look up and then t Ray's waving the flag straight back to the bowl with priority fuck score the eight points beat shane pal just go it's the, it's, it's, you need it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know what I mean? You need a little bit of help. It's like, it's hard. It's like, yeah. you got to trust the person waving the flag and you got to, I fuck it up. It, all, it's hard. It's a lot of pressure and, you know, you've got to be there all day and realize that sets do disappear when you're waving and then all of a sudden they're paddled over a wave and you're fucking, oh my God, they should have maybe taken the first one. But it is what it is. It's, I don't know. I mean, I've had a full argument with Micro about it. He, he reckons it's cheating. I say, fuck off, it's cheating. So I say, I never, ever want to see you fucking whistle for a set in the rest of your life. And I've seen fucking Bali last year whistling fucking at sets for the girls. Like, it's the same thing. Well, that's funny because that's, that's, that's where I popped my cherry too. I, 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 I whistled at Karamis. Like, I, and, and before that, I was very like, once you give that high five or that knuckles, it's, it's all over. But then I, I kind of... You know, it just dawned on me. Like, why wouldn't you do everything within your power? Some guys like it and some guys don't. Like, yeah. some guys don't like it. Like, they don't, they prefer to, like, because it, it can fuck them up. You get what mm. I mean? They'll, 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 you know, their mm. opinion of a thing will be thing. But some guys love it. They they love the the, the, the the knowledge that there is one behind and they don't have to think about whether there's fucking, that that's the way they should be taken. So it's a, it's a trusting and I don't know. It, yeah. it is what it is. Sometimes it works, but fuck, I've seen many of micro guys lose. Wilco lost fucking, like, went the first wave and there was a fucking bomb behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I was going, yeah, I bet you had someone whizzing one behind <laughs> because fucking, you know what I mean? It, it oh. is what it is. It's fucking, I, yeah. I said my piece about that fucking micro thing. It's like, yeah. it's bullshit. Like, that's my style of coaching. Fuck, so what? Who, why do you care? Yeah, yeah. Like, fuck off yeah <laughs> what yeah i remember like, after, after that I, I definitely kind of um adapted a, a bit of a bit more of, of that and I, I definitely tried to you know you've got to do what you know and, and everything but I, I remember after that i remember thinking like i said like why wouldn't you do everything you can to win like that's what you're there for that's what you get on the plane for that's why you leave your family and friends like why wouldn't you try everything within the rules to, to get it done and i wasn't necessarily 100%. whistling sets as much i'm still still got the jury out on that because just personal but i remember i remember whistling malia 
to the shoulder because she was yeah, yeah. Karamis has that reverse rip sometimes and like she just got sucked yeah, up yeah. a little bit and then with fucking 14 seconds to go she stood up on a wave and needed a six and got a six and and if she had been stuck Dude, behind you, she would have missed the first turn and i was like oh i'm with time now that that was that worked i remember <laughs> i remember you know surfing's a funny sport man like i remember sitting in the, the like the bleachers one year and i was sitting down in the front and like you were behind me micro was behind you ross was sitting next to micro leandro dora was sitting one left from you and i just kind of thought like fuck no other sport in the world like at the highest level would you see all the coaches sitting in the same box waiting for the heat to start yeah. like, it's a pretty pretty unique little world yeah, yeah that's hawaii like where you know the hully Eva or some are all in that like competitors area and you you know your boys are lined up for the heat after heat after heat or even it's just uncomfortable when you're like portugal kind of thing there's one video rock <laughs> you got to get there early to get kind of thing and and then like you boys are serving it to each other and like someone else Mate, I thought we'd try and have a bit more of a laugh. Have you got any uh, just absolute bell ringing bloopers of anything that you've said, uh, you know, pre heat that you fuck just thought, what fuck. did I just say? There I've got one. a good one for Steph. I'd say, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, go. Uh, she lost his heat in Portugal. Like, she'd actually got lost as well titled this year before the one she won. Yeah. She got second and she lost to. Um, someone in the second round, like lost early. And yeah. I just said, you just sit out the back of the rip and <laughs> don't ever, ever tell a girl to sit in a rip, <laughs> whatever you do. But, and she goes stuck in this. I said, sit at the back of the rip and just get this chip shot and you're going to get two turns in before everyone else has taken off. And then she got stuck in this rip and she couldn't get out of it. And I was going, oh my God, she's, she's gone. <laughs> like didn't catch her, like just, Worse, yeah. I just went, oh, what a mistake. Yeah. So heavy. Going to get and sucked out to me. the Azores. I yeah. remember the year that Ethan um, came and stayed with us at the US Open. He's sort of like first year out of, you know, the juniors and whatever. And so he stayed with me and Jack and Jack's filmer. And, and you know, we were helping him out. And and um, he had a second round heat with um, Pakadowskis, Julian Wilson, and I think it was Adriano D'Souza. And he had his rash on him. Yeah, it was gnarly. He was just about to run down. <laughs> and I remember just grabbing him and just like kind of, you know, doing anything you can just to pump his boots up. Because obviously, you know, the US Open's a spectacle as it is, let alone, you know, especially for a kid from a small country town. Um, and I remember just, um, I remember leaning over to him and went, fuck, you've got some big names in this heat, mate. <laughs> but what, what, I meant, what, I meant to, what I meant to say was, they're just names on a piece of paper. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Just like poor little kids fucking 16 or 7 years old and you got you got fucking three of the best servers in the world. Yeah. I think about that though. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember just, I remember just basically just wanting to walk off the beach like, dude, just fucking stop trying to shut up. But then he got through the heat, so maybe it worked. He got second in that US Open, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty pretty cool. It was sort of funny. We all knew how good he was, but it was it was uh it was good to see him kind of like surprise everyone like that. And yeah, that that, that was a funny one, mate. Uh, there, there's one that gets around. It's a bit, it's a folklore. I'll I'll try and spruik your memory on it. If it's um it was when you were working with Jules and you guys were down at Bell's. I don't know if there's any truth to this, but uh, apparently the advice was to uh, stick to the second wave of the set uh, unless the first one looks good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, big onshore belt is always um it's always the second wave of the set for me. Like I was always I was always no worries about paddling over a wave at the start, but when you've got a talent like Julian, it's yeah. like shit, do you make him 
he should be able to write anything and get a score. So like, it's like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. It's a heavy one to, to say, because I, I had no problem with paddling over the first one because I, I always wanted to take the best wave, smooth, whatever. Mm. And if, if there wasn't a second one, I didn't care. I'll just go, oh fuck, I'll just wait for the next set. I didn't care. But mm. if he got caught short because he paddled over one to go to the second one. And so I just, you know, yeah, one of those good old, you know, stay busy but be patient. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think uh, that that was a that that one that one takes the cake. That one. Oh, I'll throw this one in there, mate. You were pretty close with Parker over the years, from from what I could tell. Um, was there ever ever a chance to to help in, or did I, did I not read the play correctly there? Yeah, I never even thought of Parker to coach really. Like yeah. I told Taj, I'll, I'll make him win a world title when I was in when I was on tour. I said, just come train with me for 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 a summer kind of thing. He came one day and went nah. <laughs> out. <laughs> Running sand juice in Inter yeah. and he went nah. Fuck that. That's yeah. fucking gnarly. Yeah. And I just went, well, fuck. You don't want to win it that bad, do you? I, I do this shit to stay on tour. You yeah. want to win a world title? That's what you got to do, brother. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a fucking yeah. It's funny how you know. I think. Um, there was there was help, you know. Derek Hind is a coach, and there's been plenty of other people through the years. But I really think it started with Mick and Phil on the tour, and and just that that professionalism that Mick brought, and then it also, started with no, it hundred percent started with Derek Hind. Yeah, Phil hired Derek Hind to to help the Rip Kill guys out. I was in Japan like back in the old old days, and he was there for all the Rip Kill guys. I was going, holy shit, mm. I've got a fucking coach here in Japan. Like I was going, wow, this is bizarre. Like, yeah, I was going, this is that's huge. Like, that my initial thinking of sports coaching and like, um, not sports coaching, but like surfing coaching was Derek Hine and and his knowledge. He had to pad like he was at the beach and and he was telling Poto to do this and this and this. And and I was going, wow, was going, yeah, I was fucking blown away, kind of thing. But the the ultimate relationship is a hundred percent Phil and um Mick. Like yeah, the way how. And I think what I mean by that is like, yeah, I mean, Derek actually has a pretty fucking amazing resume too when you look at it. But I think what I mean by the Mick and Phil thing was it seemed really independent and then Phil knew that and Mick knew that and they, wow, did they do some, some things. And I think, you know, Phil's a pretty unique dude. He's really fucking clever and uh, very diligent and crosses his I's and dots his T's. And I think he fit Mick perfectly for that. And they obviously, I'll go back to, I'll go back to connection and relationships to the coaching and athlete kind of thing. There yeah. was a, a respect and a hundred percent what, when Mick spoke, uh, when uh, Phil spoke, Mick listens. If you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, I've coached guys like I'm fucking telling the thing and they're all like, I tell all my guys, I don't care how much talent you have. You're doing the QS and the CT the first year you're on tour. Yeah. Because the first year on tour is the hardest year you'll have on tour. Yeah, you know what I mean. For sure, I, anyone. I actually, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, um, I haven't put this. I haven't had anyone buy into this yet, but I've actually been trying to sell the opposite. I've had a f- sort of a few people come to me at the start of last year, and I, I, I said I'd only coach you if you only do the CT. Why would you do that, Stace? Because the, well, if it's your first year, it's like I know what you say. You're only going to concentrate on the CT, but your first year's so learning and you're normally a shit seed which means you're going to be drawing hard heat oh yeah you're going to go yeah 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 no worries mm. i'm going to 
I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. No worries. I'm just going to do the CT. You rock up to the Australian League, you get smoked by by Mick Pang, Doc <laughs> Parkinson, and fucking Gabriel Medina, and you go, yeah. you didn't tell me to do the QSs. Now I've got to start now because I'm fucking last on the rating. Yeah. I think that you were going to get smoked yeah. by them anyway, though. So why why delay it? That's the way that I was looking. That's the way that I would look at it. And I think the CT, the waves are fucking so particular that any extra time you can get there, particularly when these people generally have never been there before, like a Fiji or a Bells or something like that. I was just looking at it from a, from a, from a point of like, if you do 11 CTs and nine QSs, you don't have time to fart. So if you just do 11 CTs, you can spend the rest of your year improving your skill set. And if you, you know, not everyone's in a financial position to be able to do that. But if you could, I'd really love to see someone try that. And like I said, I haven't had anyone buy into that yet. So I can't, I don't, <laughs> I don't have don't a... Don't sell it, mate. Don't oh, sell it. It's, I just fuck, like, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. I don't care who you are. The yeah. first year and two is a learning experience. That's why you go there. You go there... You surf your heats and you learn and you get your lineups and you get the right boards and you you don't you're never gonna have enough time no matter I don't care how much extra time you have yeah yeah I think like you, no. yeah you're not gonna get the same you're not gonna get the same conditions but I think that like feeling comfortable in a few of those locations only time can do that yeah and, and I but think that's, that, that's that's a, that's the first year until that's one event kind of thing you're yeah. not gonna have time for that whole year to do all that for all events it's and you have one bad heat like it's, yeah. My philosophy is you learn on at that event, but back yourself up for your first year, get mm. your confidence up that you're going to have a second year on tour and then mm. you can actually surf heats without having to freak out about having to make heats to qualify. You're actually qualified through the QS because you're good enough and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. You, you roll on and, and you take your first year as like a learning experience because it's gnarly. Leo said it like, I'm negotiating his bonus thing. He goes, Snake, I'm, I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to qualify. I was, okay, I'm on the CT, are you? And I was, I was going, mate, it's really hard. And he's going, yeah, but I've already done okay. He said, yeah, you're a wild card, mate. Mm. What pressures do you have on, on, on in you surfing against Kelly at Margaret's and, and at, at, you know, he had all those wild cards, you know, when he, he got fifth, he got a third, I think. He did, he did incredible. And then he qualified that year and blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, mate, you've you got to do the QS. And he's going, no, nah, look, I'm pretty confident I'm going to qualify on the CT. I was going, just just start the year and just do it and see how you go. And then he got like last, 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 last and the, and the CT. Dropped me after Brazil, just goes, oh, it must be the coach. I don't know what he's... I was snapping at him because he's fucking surfing different heats because he's, he's freaking out because he's on the CT and he's not doing how he thought he was going to do. Mm. And it's all because it's the first... He's drawing hard heat. You know what I mean? Like, it's gnarly. Oh, it's so, so no, hard. Even I, like, I, 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 yeah, I'm not selling that. I don't sell that nah. to anyone, mate. No, no, no. I know. I seen but you. What you're selling, I'm not buying, Stace. <laughs> <laughs> I look at Dane Reynolds and Geordie's first year on on the CT. Like the two, like the guys, they qualified the same year and yeah. see where they finished on the CT that first year. Like, and those two guys were dibbed as the best two talents coming through surfing ever. Yeah. They both just qualified. <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah. Oh well, I think I they think... didn't do the they didn't do the QS and well, you know what well, I mean. They might yeah. have done better on the CT if they had have done a few more QSs, less pressure, mm. like fuck, grind another year out, and then mm. it's a it's a stepping stone thing. It's like you're not just qualifying for the CT; it's a building thing. You're not just going to waltz in the top five. Bobby Martinez did it, I think, like off the top of my head, I can remember, but. You know, he started the first event that he ever, you know, 
he got third in his first event. That's a pretty good luxury to have to, to not have to do any QSs, mind you. Come yeah. out of the Australian leg with a third and a fifth, I think he got at Bells. And then, you know, going to Tahiti, one of his strong events. You know what I mean? It's like... Hey, yeah. um, who's the best surfer you've seen in your time? Surfer or coaching life, never qualify. Ooh, that's a crazy one. Clay Marzo, the talent the kid had was, he's like, stood on a surfboard, it was just natural, you know, like, yeah. no, not foot, front-footed, back-footed, wanted to flick his tail there, you just go, wow, it was unbelievable. I did the Young Guns three with him, Dane and Julian, and holy shit, those guys were fucking unbelievable. And mm-hmm. right, Craig, like, it was mind-blowing, but like, his yeah. talent level was way up there with those guys. Out of all the changes at the moment, I guess firstly, do you do you like the proposed changes as a you know as an observer and as a kind of a custodian of the sport? I like the idea of it, but I don't like the idea of like if you are unbeatable going into that event. If it was the old school thing, you've won five events out of the tour. I probably won't have the guys, but for the girls, say Steph wins five out of those events. She comes in, has a shitty day, and she goes from unbelievable out first to fifth that's mm. just like wow yeah that's actually just a, what because of the scheduling thing it's like wow like that's the only that's you won the world title three events ago but we decided we wanted to crown it on one day yeah well that's a bit unfair i think i think that's the only thing i would i would change about it is i, I would just i would give give first a little bit more respect and a bit of a safety net if I saying, think they do, though. I think that's the, the idea, though, like to have like, an man, advantage for the guy. Yeah, but an advantage in the sense of, say, if you're in the men's and call it top six, um, if six can't catch one, he, he shouldn't be there. Do you know what I mean? No, like if it, it no. came down to like a final event at Pipe and say it's four people in the race, I reckon all four of those guys should go and do a fucking battle royale. But there's no point in stretching it out to six if six can't even catch one. So I don't think they necessarily no, need to – they don't need to lock in a number. They just kind of need to leave it floating so that it can it could be... be eight guys. Exactly. That's, for that's sure. A, I'm agree. If it's only two, yep. fucking bring yeah. it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. none, fucking be done with it that year. Fuck. Yeah. For me, yeah. the world, the best surfer in the world gets determined over the, the, the tour in all the spots. Brazil, Tahiti, J-Bay, Hype, yeah. Bell, Snapper. That's your world champion. You got to perform at all those events. You got to drop two of them. So what? Um, a ten at Pipeline or a hole in one at Pebble Beach? Uh, I've had a ten at Pipe, so I'll take a hole in one at Pebble Beach, mate. <laughs> <laughs> wow, damn! That question was loaded. I should have known that. That's poor research. <laughs> Lucky I don't call myself a journalist. But uh, speaking of which, mate, you don't. Uh, those don't come by every day, nor do uh, Pipe Masters titles. Do you want to walk us through heat by heat, or you want to jump into the final, mate? The floor's yours. Okay, so I'll, I'll do it as quickly as I can because it's a great story. Okay, so I'll just start early. The world title was uh, Kelly, Mick Campbell, Danny Wills, and Shane Besson. Shane Besson was the outside chance. Um, first day of pipe, three-man heats, 15, 18-foot maybe, huge. Third reef, fourth reef, fifth reef, whatever you want to call it, it was huge. Um, <laughs> I rode a 7-4, borrowed a board off my brother, uh, a JC 
uh, old Shane Dorian board that he bought secondhand. I didn't have a big enough board. I borrowed it off him. Um, rode it at Monster Mush the afternoon before. Just went, yeah, this will do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first round heat, I had. I was in the middle seat. I had Johnny Boy Gomes, defending champion. He won the year before. Beat Kelly. Uh, and um, and Mick Campbell, 15, 18 foot. Me and Mick Campbell, because third, third out, by the way. There's no losers round back in those oh, days. Third yeah. out. So me and Mick Campbell, I won the heat. Mick Campbell got second. Johnny Boy got third. Johnny Boy came in at Beach Park, never seen again. Took his rashy home, gone. Just didn't even want to, like, can you imagine it? Johnny Boy got a defending champion getting beaten by two young Australian Aussies. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that pipe event was crazy. The next round I had surfed against Sean Sutton, probably the best pipe I've ever paddled out in. It was glassy, 10 to 12 foot, unbelievable. And I'm making that. So, um, and then final day. So that's it. You get what I mean? Like I surfed two heat, like bang, bang. And then all of a sudden, two heats, I'm in the final day. First heat of the morning against Shane Beshin going for the world title. And up getting a crazy left, beating him. And then the swell was pretty big still that morning. It was like eight, ten, eight, eight foot, kind of dying. And then the quarterfinals against Chris Gallagher, and it was all backdoor. Still running the 7 4 board, by, mind you. That's what um, I was going to ask. You didn't change boards. Gal's eh? yelling at me, going, Stop going fucking right. I'm just getting all these backdoor waves, just loving it, just going, This is the best shit ever. Yeah. And then had the semi against Kelly. Um, best three back back then, by the way. Um, and then we both had two really good ones. My backup was like a six, and his was like a four. He lost needing a four point five or something, like something pretty crazy. His backup was shit. Mine was a tiny bit better, but who gives a fuck? Not me. Kelly in the semis of pipe. <laughs> Kelly ended up going through and winning the world title because he beat uh, he beat someone Rob in the quarters or something. I don't know. Yeah. But he ended up winning the world title. So I said against in the semis. I'm in the I'm in the final against Bruce, seventeen year old Bruce, little punk guy, smoking everyone. He was just having a time of his life. I'm paddling into the final. Uh, there was an express session paddling back out. Jerry Lopez, uh, Christian Fletcher paddling out, kind of thing. And Christian yells out something in the channel to me, and I and he goes he goes oh, what? He goes you've lost and you don't even know it yet. <laughs> Like this, I went, what? I've lost. I said, oh, as long as I have fun, I don't give a shit like that. And Jerry looked, heard it and looked over and he goes, yeah, brah. And I just went, holy shit. How good was that moment? Yeah. And then I swear to God, look, the, the final went back and forth, went bang, bang, bang. And then like a minute and a half, Bruce needed like a six, have had priority, got this back door away, gets a 7.5. I need like a, a 7.8 or something. There's no, like... You know, he got that with a minute and a half to go. He comes into the beach, like, almost almost wanted to claim it. Like, people say he was claiming and it was getting carried on the beach, but he wasn't. He kind of, like, gave a little finger point, like, going, yeah, number one. Like, when he was coming in on the on his board, like, on the front of his board, going, oh, yes, please, please let me win. Yeah. But then he got to the beach and, like, all his boys wanted to carry me. He's going, no, 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 no. And then, like, they're counting down the, the, the time, you know, 30 seconds. I look at the horizon and went, oh, fuck, it's done. It's, like... It's fucking done. Yeah. And then all these, the, the, the free surfers are paddling into the lineup. They're like, can again, 20 seconds, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I swear, Michael Crawley reckons it's him. 
someone yells out, like he, MC reckons it's him, yeah. says, out the back! I lift my head, I went, holy shit, there's a lump <laughs> like that. I turn, I go, holy shit, I'm going to, I'm fucking going to get a chance here. And then I turn around, they're counting down, it's like, damn, no, no, I'm going, oh, fuck, it's nothing going to get in time. I got my head down, I'm kicking and scratching, and it's like, I'm on a seven foot four surfboard, this wave's like six foot. And yeah. I, I take on this last chance, this last wave of the whole day, whatever. Yeah. And then I pull up in this wave and go, oh my God, it's a dead set straight close out. And I went, oh, yeah. fuck it. Yeah. I did this huge big pump in this thing. And then it goes all right where I'm locked in this barrel. It's like six foot, it's just overhead high kind of thing. It goes all foamy and it like starts breathing on me. And, that, and it kind of like, it, when it goes into the foam, it kind of like goes in slow motion and kind of like opens this tiny little doggy door window that just lets my head, if you have a look at it ever, like slip out of this doggy door and there's this little golden curtain that just goes oh. over my head. Like they could have easily knocked me off, but just lets me out. And then bango, hands go up. The rest is history, my friend. Fuck yeah. <laughs> How 10 seconds changed my life. Oh, Dude, that's amazing. It's fucking, crazy. it's fucking absolutely no way I'm going to sleep after hearing that story. That was so good. Oh. I tell that story every time I've had a few beers, it's pretty good. Oh, Brody, yeah. Blakey and, uh, and uh, yeah, the Blakey brothers are just epic. They love it. They make me tell it all the time when I'm beers. Oh, they love it. That is so good. Yeah, me and uh, me and Dill Roberts got the X-rated version of that at Splendor in the Grass a few years ago. It was fucking brilliant. Oh, you see, you've already heard it. <laughs> no, but um, this is this is different. This is different. Oh, I'd hear that story once a day for the rest of my life. Now, is the does the vision still live on Honestale? dot com? Uh, yeah, you can get it on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, YouTube it. I think it's on there. Yeah, oh, it is. Yeah, it, Dale thing's got it. Yeah, it is so so good. It is like. But just have to like that's that's my being my motto and coaching and everything. Work hard, never give up. Like bang, like yeah. Just doors will open as long as you believe it, and and just you know, I'm a true believer. If you if you put the hard work in, you create shit that you never thought was possible. Mm. Well, thanks, Snake. Really appreciate your time. It's been uh, it's been great chatting, and uh, hopefully, we can do it all again soon. <laughs> what for? <laughs> got to get an update, done, brother. Got to get an update on how your sales are going, mate, and then what event you're going to sponsor next year. That's what. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> we have feel good ink. Get onto it. <laughs> Wow, holy shit, man. I think uh, Snakes just inspired me to get on the fucking QE and grind it out. I think I could maybe make this HCT. <laughs> what do you think, Stace? Oh, my God. I, I had so much fun with that. I, he, you know, obviously the last 10 minutes is really good. And uh, that story of him, you know, winning Pipe in 98, um, it was local time for me. It was about 11.45, you know, quarter to midnight. Um, I didn't get to sleep easily after hearing that. It was, it was amazing. Like, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it before, but you know, to hear it again is is amazing. And um, yeah, like I said, I could hear that story once a day for the rest of my life. I reckon it's Australian folklore that one. Yeah, and I mean, even the stuff from his like early career, like getting into fist fights with Andy Irons and stuff like that. Like, that's just fucking amazing. Like, I don't know, stuff like that just doesn't happen anymore. And, it's it's really easy to look back and pick all the like beautiful parts out and be nostalgic about it essentially but i don't know it just really does seem like a 
beautiful bygone era. For sure, yeah. And I kind of yeah skipped over your remark earlier about how, you know, he just getting out in the QS and grinding it out and getting it done because he, you know, like you mentioned, believes in himself. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's so good. And, and how the stories just kind of roll off his tongue with no, you know, Snake's a, a pretty interesting character. He, he, he doesn't mind what other people think of him. And I think that was really evident in, uh, in that chat. And yeah, the stories are just unbelievable. So funny. And oh, this, this stuff about Joel, like, he tried to get Joel to come train with him. Joel lasted one day running sand dunes and was like, no, not for me. And Snake is like, man, I got to do this to stay on tour. You're actually chasing something that is like, you know, it's a fucking world title and you're not even willing to do two days in the sand with me. It's pretty yeah, amazing. Totally. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're referring to Taj there, but it's definitely, uh, you know, they are the two polar opposites. Obviously, Taj being um, uh, a lot more... <sighs> feet in both worlds of you know entertainment and competition whereas snake was just purely competition so anything he could do to get an edge over anyone he was gonna he was gonna take that um but i did like there how he was always you know talking about oh i was just fitter and when the waves got ugly i stood up and and got the job done or rode along a board and and that's how i got it you know his wins, but it was cool to hear him say that he actually felt like he did lift against the better guys. And that's what he put his success to. It wasn't just the fact that he could run sand dunes for two weeks straight and be the fittest guy on tour. He was also, he's also rose to the occasion, which, you know, is um, not many people can say that. Yeah. And we, and we really do. I mean, as much as that type of surfer, you know, the journeyman or whatever you want to call them, as much as they're mopped, they're so necessary to like a tour because you can only have so many superstars, right? Mm. You can only have like five or six guys that are really going to like blow your mind every time, Mm. but you need those, you know, realistically lesser talented people that are still able to strike fear in those bigger guys. You know, like Slater has lost what, like eight of his last nine heats against Adriano. Kayo seems to have some sort of dark voodoo magic against Medina. Like it's just, and it, that probably kills them. It's probably harder for Medina to like have that thing to Kyo than it is to lose to John, you know, because he's just like, fuck, this guy's just got my number. Totally. And he's and half it, as good a surfer as I am. Exactly. Especially with like, I know John, John, I think got Kyo in his most recent man on man heat, but prior to that Kyo had John, John's number as well. And you know, John wasn't afraid to admit it felt good when he beat Kyo. Like really good, you know. It doesn't matter who you are. It's if you've got someone's got your number, you you definitely know it. There's no hiding it. And and yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's funny though because like Snake getting that, and I know what you mean by the journeyman tag, but I just can't get over the events that Snake won. It, it definitely after that chat, I don't put him in that journeyman category if that makes sense. Like he won the most prestigious events, the events that everyone wants to win or, you know, have that history about them, he, he won. And that, that to me is like, you know, a notch above. So, yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, I, I wasn't really that cognizant of like pro surfing when Snake was in his heyday. Yeah. But uh, what I have seen is that heat that he had at Haliva against Joel Slater and Andy. And I mean, he's fucking ripping. Like, I mean, Mm. you know, he, he he definitely downplays his talent a bit. Like he's very, you know, core Aussie in that sense. He doesn't want to, you know, think of himself all high and mighty, but the guy could fucking surf. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, he definitely he definitely could, and yeah, he he's he's good at playing it down. But then when you look at the the, the trophy cabinet, it's got some pretty good ones in there, and there's yeah. a lot of surfers in this era that arguably, and every era might have more talent, but they definitely do not have the accolades that, that he has. And yeah, likewise, I wasn't that um, paying a lot of attention at that age. I think I was probably. I don't know, 15 or 16 when he was sort of wrapping it up or whatever. So through the best part of his career, I would have had no idea what he was up to, but definitely looking back on it and his prolific storytelling with his videos, like that is amazing to have his gang and him all filming each other. You're kind of seeing a little bit of that comeback now with people trying to save on money and things like that, rather than paying a filmer, they might want to, you know, share a handy cam or whatever. And I just think it's epic because we have that vision. The vision of him being filmed by Richie Lovett to win the QS, you know, which is that heat that you're talking about, I'm pretty sure. That's just amazing. Like, you wouldn't see that now. No, absolutely not. Um, and so, yeah, I guess my question is, you guys talked all about uh, Snake's career and all that, but what has your experience with Snake been? Like, I know that you said that in one of the events he you know, took out all your guys and, you know, there's always this funny thing between the judges where you're all stuck in the same place and you kind of have this tension, but yeah. What, what's, uh, what's snake actually like on the ground? Um, well, I, I really want to take a leaf out of snake's book here and just say exactly what I'm thinking. And I'm going to do that. Like first couple of years, especially when I was at Grom, like I didn't really get on with snake. It just, we didn't click. We didn't have anything in common kind of wouldn't really go out of his way to say hello to us younger crew. And, and I just thought, Oh, whatever, like all good. But then as I got to know him, as I got a bit older, honestly, full 180, like did, didn't think he was that big of a legend, like super caring, but really competitive, but also happy to share his, you know, knowledge of waves or boards. Like he's a real master with all that stuff. Like he shapes all his own boards and, and he, you know, his, his wave knowledge in, is, is, crazy all around the world and i think that's evident with like the results that he gets with people that he's coaching and stuff and so yeah snake the snake the bloke over the years definitely um turned into yeah one of my closer friends on tour and then with like drawing against each other i think surf coaching is in a unique place where it's still pretty pretty new and i think that I'm respectful of the older guard and stuff. And if they wanted to banter, I would definitely banter with them. But if there wasn't that there, I wasn't really going to like go after him and rev him up and whatever. And I think that like we mentioned, you, you surf against each other, particularly with the women's tour, which he was obviously coaching Steph and over the years I've coached Malia and Nikki and you draw each other quite a lot. So if you're giving shit to someone one week, there's every chance you're going to draw them next week and they're going to smoke you and they're going to be giving it back. So it's all, it's all pretty lighthearted. Yeah. So speaking of his uh, surfers, do you have any sense of where his, you know, top guys are going to end up in terms of having a coach next year or if they're going to have a coach next year? So that's like Griffin, Kanoa, Steph are kind of the main three, I guess. For sure. Um, and I think, you know, Ethan is going to be put in there as well. Um, I can make some speculation. I could be completely wrong and I don't really have anything to back this up, but um, the three, three blokes, they're also on about Oakley. So Tom Whitaker, his sort of first job outside of being a pro surfer was looking after the Oakley team. So there, 
and and Ethan has worked with Tom in the past, and um, and you know Griffin Kanoa have, have have known Tom since they've been on the Oakley team. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if if they head in in that direction. As far as Steph's concerned, um, I know she got an email the day after Snake retired from another coach. I'm not going <laughs> to name. I'm not going to name names, but I thought that was pretty funny. It's a ruthless world out there, the coaching business. You got to be quick. <laughs> it uh, was you, wasn't it? Nah, mate. I wouldn't do that. I'd just go and see it down the street. <laughs> Leave no paper trail. <laughs> but um, I think I don't think Malia would would appreciate that either. <laughs> but um, I don't know that she would go anywhere. To be honest, like nothing. Not want to, don't want to poke fun at her age, but she's not a spring chicken anymore. She knows what she's doing, and you know when the tour does resume, whenever that is, um, she's just as likely to get help from within her brand. You know, whether it be Mateus in in Europe and and, and Troy Brooks here in Australia, like she's pretty well looked after, and it'll be interesting to see where her where her level of, of hunger's at. If she's super fired up and wants to win an eighth, she might employ an independent coach, but Roxy and Quicksilver have got some good people in their network. So I could, who would you go to if you, if you were a pro surfer? Yep. I guess of, well, no, let's yeah, let's keep it specific to Steph. You know, you're, you're yeah. a seven time world champion, yada, yada. Yep. If you could have any surf coach in the world, who do you think would be most valuable to her? Someone that makes her feel like she doesn't have to do more than what she needs to do. So that might not necessarily be a surf coach. That could be a partner, a, a filmer. Um, because I, I, I genuinely believe she's got her routines pretty dialed. And even if her routines weren't perfect, changing them this late in her career is going to be really difficult. You could spend two or three years trying to recreate some sort of structure for her when really I, I'm not too sure that you would necessarily need that to get results. But just to keep her interested and, and stuff like that. Um, I know she's been filming a lot with Dan Scott lately and, and he's a he's a nice bloke and I'm sure he'd be easy to travel with, you know. So even though he's not necessarily a coach, um, I believe that a relationship like that could be beneficial to her. Nobody's really a coach though, right? It's not like you gotta go to school and get some certificate. <laughs> We're all coaches and none of us are coaches. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> totally still trying to figure out exactly uh, you know what we do and i think over the years i've gotten a little more um specific on, on what i can help different people with um quite often it's not surfing i've found and that's quite humbling because in my mind i'm like want to be this guru surf coach and i think about it i'm like oh hang on a minute the best way to get this person you know to their reach their potential is is a different avenue so if that's the case you know how can you call that surf and coaching and at the end of the day, you know, it's the same with any sport, really. Well, I guess sometimes the best of the best become coaches later in life. But, like, realistically, anybody that is a coach, it's because they're not on the same level as the people that they are coaching, right? So, you know, you're not going to teach one of the best surfers in the world something totally new about surfing. So it, it has to be more about that mental thing. 100%. Yeah. It's uh, it's not always the case. Sometimes some of the best do go into coaching and they, they turn out to be very, very good at it. But um, I totally agree. You're not going to, particularly me, I'm not going to stand there and tell someone how to, uh, how to do a frontside carve. 
but I will tell them if they. Uh, I've, I've seen your friends out carb. It's pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to make any heats on the tour though. Uh, but I, I think I think it's more just having someone that you trust, and and if you know they're not, you know, telling you necessarily how to do something they might just be more keeping you honest to what your level is and and particularly with the the, the top guys um you want to keep the carrot dangling in front of them to keep them motivated i think um, especially the surfers that have been on tour for a long time so that might be getting them to look at the wave differently and to do the same turn but in a different section or with different speed or approach you know a wave with a different quiver or something like that um, not necessarily like the maneuver or the the turn itself. Yeah. Ah, these are good notes. I'm going to have to uh, bring these to my coaching game. Did you know that I used to be a coach? No, but I've seen a photo of you getting around on a group chat with a lot of trophies. So maybe we could put it towards your assault on the QS. Whoa. I don't know what photo that is. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I was the, uh, the, the assistant coach of the UCSD surf team for like two or three years which is the college that i went to but then i graduated and stuck around like a creepy uncle were you like a captain slash coach or just just coach i was captain when i was in school and then i graduated and became coach the biggest uh benefit of which beyond you know hanging out with fucking cool kids and going surfing every week was that you got a key to black's beach which is a big deal. I don't know how well you know like Southern California surf scene, but having a key to blacks is like just gold. I didn't realize it was a key operation that beach, but yeah, I know the wave and it looks like it's worth having a key to for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, this is a, a conversation that is kind of timely because apparently in a couple of days, the WSL is going to release their new schedule or whatever their plan is, whether, whether or not there's going to be professional surfing in the near future, we don't actually know, but um, we're going to find out soon. So what are you kind of hoping for, you know, both as somebody who makes their money by, you know, working at these events and also just as a person who understands the world and the situation we're in right now? I honestly have given it really little thought because um, I just see some bigger economic barriers that are going to occur before our tour gets started. To be honest, uh, I've got friends that are pilots and they're getting told to prepare to not go back to work until 2022. Um, the situation in Brazil, uh, which doesn't get a lot of mainstream media is really bad. Uh, and not to mention the United States. So I really struggle to see how a world tour of our level, we're not tennis or F1, I'd fail to see how it's going to fit in. So I'm looking forward to reading how this all looks. What I would hope for though, if I could pick anything would be, um, yeah, really strong domestic tours again. Cause I think Australia, like snake mentioned in the chat, you know, really benefited from that. You could sharpen your, your teeth at home, get your competitive savvy up, make a bit of money and then hit the road. I'm a little bit sick to death of these 19 to 20 year olds that have no income. In, from the com- from a commercial sense like of competitive surfing um they're working and i don't have anything against working a job to pay for your career that's absolutely fine but i do wish that they had opportunities to compete at home is all i'm saying instead of breaking their back on the on the job site they can do that later in their life when you're trying to be a professional athlete it's pretty hard to to do both um so i would hope for like strong domestic tours which then set a really good platform to then get you onto the world tour. So 
yeah. And then as far as the world tour is concerned, um, you know, I've been pretty accustomed to the, to the schedule that it's been even before I had a job in the surf industry, you know, I'd, I'd watch the tour and it would go Australia, America, South America, South Africa, Europe, Hawaii. Um, so I don't, I mean, I, my creative juices are a little blocked there. I, don't, I wouldn't really know what to expect other than that. Um, to see it all jammed into the back half of the year, like we've heard. Um, yeah, that could be a thing. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how people get to fit that in with spending time with their, with their family and stuff. And if that suits, you know, if that suits everyone. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. I guess we'll be back soon with that knowledge unless the WSL holds out on us again, but, um, we've had some extra time. What, what would you, what would you, you know, we've had this chat in a previous podcast about a dream tour. Have you got any other updates? Like anything else you thought of that you'd want to, that you'd want to see? No, I still, I'm holding strong at the points that we need to trim the tours down and do strike mission style events. Granted, again, I'm coming only from the fans perspective, but I think that that is the way that you make uh, professional surfing interesting to the point that you can get people to pay for it, which in my eyes is the only way the WSL keeps going ad infinitum, which is, I think, what we are all hoping for. Um, yeah, nobody wants to see professional surfing ever in a point of will it exist. And if they're losing money year on year, I, I don't see how that can go on forever. So that's my two cents. Mm. Yeah. Would you pay for surfing? I would for sure pay for surfing. If I knew that they were going to do whatever it is, eight events a year and they were all going to be on the best day of the year or like, you know, relative whatever but you know they're going to score at tropes you know they're going to score at j bay um you know they're going to score anywhere they go of course i'm going to put down ten dollars an event or whatever a hundred dollars a year or whatever it might be granted i am you know what would classify probably as like a super fan and i know that other people are probably not as into it as i am so it's about getting those like middle people who are like definitely into it. They're more than just like a passive observer. Like there's mm -hmm. someone who will sign into most events, but yeah, they're not quite at the like super fan level. But I think if you can get those, you know, normal viewers to pay, I think you're in a good spot. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, getting people to pay, do you think that the people that, Hang on, actually, I need to backstory this. Did you see all the comments on the WSL's Facebook page when Ian Gouveia had his little daughter surfing? No, I missed it. There wow, was I'm a terrible this, journalist. Ah, you got to follow the Green Room Times, man. Um, he got me onto it. Um, all the comments of people saying that she should have a life jacket on. So uh, they're, they're not the people you're talking about, right? They're, they're not the people we, we're going to expect to pay for the contest. <laughs> No, see, that's so funny, right? Because that is to a large degree the demographic that WSL has claimed that they're chasing, which is like the middle American. And it's like, guys, they think that it's going to go back to the heyday of like the 2000s when everybody thought wearing a giant Quicksilver logo was the epitome of cool, you know, whether you were in Kansas or California or whatever. It's just never going to happen. What you need to do is capitalize on your core 10,000 people, you know, that are like actually into surfing. They care about surfing. They go surfing most days. They talk about surfing with their friends. 
you need to actually capitalize on them rather than trying to get this like large mystery demographic that really just doesn't exist. Mm. Yeah, it it is wild. I mean, I'm good mates with Dave uh, Proden and everything, but after our chat, I think the WSL Instagram got worse. <laughs> Dude, yeah, fuck it. Uh, it's baffling. It did. Baffling. It, it definitely did. I don't know. I feel like I feel personally attacked. Under whose direction do you, is, you think that's Elo or like just, I mean, he's from middle America, right? So he, he, that's the problem is Elo sees himself and all these people. Like if it happened to me, it can happen to them. They can fall in love with surfing too. And it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Elo, I'm sorry. Like you were a special case. You're a special human. You fucking came into oprah and turned it around and you know like he's not a normal human being i will give um i will give um some insight into something he said just a a personal experience i had he mentioned that a company i think they're called box to box he made an agreement with them to come in and do some of their storytelling in like as a third party so they did a a show on netflix called uh fucking it was that good i can't even remember the name born to drive or it was on the f1s and it's two series and the first series just like catalogs all the drivers you've just never heard of and then the the second the second series is um you know all your, your top guys mercedes ferraris stuff like that lewis hamilton and sebastian vettel and all those guys and i'm like hooked on the f1 now the f1 season just started again and maybe it's because there's not much else on tv but i'm i'm like oh i know that guy i remember his story oh yeah he left that team to jump on this team so I think he could be onto something there. I mean, he got, he got me. So if that came on to say the QS, I think that'd, that'd be pretty cool. I thought the storytelling was, was really good. So hopefully there is a tour to come back to one, one day and that agreement's still there because I like that direction. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. It wasn't tacky at Story- all. It's pretty legit. Storytelling is great. And it's great that they can elevate these lesser known names. But the problem is that as with pretty much any sport other than surfing, you can go and watch that person compete between this hour and this hour of a day that is preset months in advance. You know that this guy is going to be driving along with the 10 other guys that you know at the same exact time on the same course on the same TV. And surfing, it's just impossible to follow, man. The events take fucking 12 days and there's 100 fucking people in the QS and it's just, yeah, well, it's just 50, impossible. Unless you have on the same parent between men and women, that's 50. Yeah, and then a few more wild cards. So it's you know it's it's a lot of people to follow for sure. I hear your point. Which comes down to why I think we need just you know two day events with the top mm. sixteen guys and top sixteen girls and just fucking that's yeah. it. Sorry to everyone else, but we need to keep the sport itself alive. And to do that, there needs to be some commercialization of it. And for that to happen, people need to pay. And for that to happen, the product needs to be interesting enough. Alrighty, well, uh, you know what. Let's um, let's see what the WSL has to say in a couple of days, and maybe we will have our perspectives completely switched, or maybe it will be the end of the world. Um, nobody can be sure, but we will be back to talk about it. I know we didn't have an episode for like a month, but we're going for what two in like three days now. Yeah, well, quality over quantity. <laughs> yeah, quality over quantity. That's right. Uh, all right, Stace. Well, thank you so much, and we'll chat soon. Good to chat, Mikey. Have a good evening.